This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Alexandra Morehouse, CMO of Banner Health. Alexandra has previously held marketing leadership roles for Kaiser Permanente, AAA, Charles Schwab, and American Express. On this episode, Alexandra talks about cultural transformation, working with CFOs and sales to set and achieve meaningful goals, and signing Steph Curry before he was an all-star. As usual, here are some of our top takeaways from this episode. We're not just saying this, we're living it from top to bottom. And it really just started a whole movement that was took on a life of its own and really became very, very thriving and vibrant all by itself. Terrific brands are built from the inside out. I learned early on in my career, not coincidentally because I came out of financial services, to get to be very best friends with the CFO and to work with my financial teams to develop cost per acquisition models and ROI models that they agreed to the assumptions and to tell them very clearly, if you give me a dollar this year in my budget, uh, you can expect by the end of this year, I can tell you if you got $1.20 back or if you only got 80 cents back and I'm willing to be accountable for that. So building that accountability into my team's performance and also co-creating goals with the sales team so that everybody had the same numbers. It's very clarifying when everybody knows exactly the numbers, the revenue numbers that you're trying to drive. And if you can say, I put this budget in and I got these results, you end up having very, very different kinds of conversations with your CFO during the budgeting and planning cycle. The other thing that is very exciting is the math So most of marketing now is math, largely because the Google algorithm is math. It changes every six to eight weeks. And so you're always trying to, it's like dealing with a mad scientist. You're always trying to figure out the math equation that's going to make you come to the top of the page. And 91% of all traffic goes to whoever shows up first in any Google search So if you're not in that first or second position, you basically don't exist. So it's this wild math competition that's happening real time, which is measurable and dynamic and unbelievably fun. If you change how people are paid, you change behaviors very quickly. So if you get net promoter score or happy customer metrics into your incentive comp package at the board level, who's in turn holding the CEO, and all of the executives responsible for that net promoter score, the customer satisfaction score, it cascades to everything. There's always a fair amount of pushback, and the only way to combat the pushback is with information, research, and data. And every job I've had, the real job has been cultural transformation. It happens to be under the guise of marketing or strategy. And you have to be able to change things without making anybody or anything that came before wrong, because nothing was wrong. Everybody did the very best they could for very good reasons and for the business climate at that time and period. But if you can respectfully say, hey, here's the way we have done things, but here's a whole bunch of data that shows what your customers are telling you they want, then it gets 
pretty clear and you get traction pretty easily, especially if you're not aggressive about it and just sort of say, hey, let's let's have an open conversation about how we can make things better for our own customers. A big thanks to Alexandra. This was a great interview. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Alexandra Morehouse, CMO of Banner Health. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, a very special guest. Alexandra, how are you? I'm great. Nice to be here, Ian. Yeah, it is a beautiful day outside, and it's a beautiful day to be talking about healthcare, marketing, and all things that have to do with your amazing career. But first, how'd you get into marketing? Getting into marketing was pretty straightforward. I went to business school, and I really didn't like finance, and I didn't like operations. And so I turned to marketing, not knowing at that point that I'd be heavily involved in operations and finance, but that's how I got started. I just, it appealed to me and the others didn't, so it was pretty straightforward. You have been a CMO multiple times at this point. You've been a brand evangelist. You have done stops at some iconic brands like American Express, Charles Schwab, Kaiser Permanente, and now Banner Health, AAA. But I wanted to start with the little stint at Ancestry, because I think it's one of those companies that this was pre-dot-com boom and bust there. What was that experience like? Oh my gosh, it was short, but very, very thrilling. It was when the first dot-com explosion happened and the venture firms were throwing money into that space. And I signed on early on with a company that was founded by Mary Furlong. It was actually called Third Age. And we spent a lot of money and shot a lot of TV and built a website and got lots of investment. And then it turned out that the people that we were attracting the most were people who were in their 40s and 50s. And those, not coincidentally, are the people who are most interested in ancestry. So our exit strategy was to sell ourselves to ancestry. And that's what ended up happening within a year. So it was a very frenetic, very wild ride, but I wouldn't have missed it for the world. It was when South of Market in San Francisco was just exploding and coffee shops had 45-minute waits just to get a single latte. It, it was very fun. It was not lasting, but it was very fun. That is that is funny. And what a, I mean, what a you know, funny anecdote for your career, which has spanned so many different iconic places. And now, you know, that company has been such an interest and like continue with the rise of data and how important data is and all of that. I mean, it's an interesting place, specifically, you know, looking forward to your current role at Banner Health and this really interesting time and space for healthcare. Can you share more about what are your roles and responsibilities at Banner? What does marketing look like at Banner Health? Marketing at Banner is different than marketing in some other places in that it has full operational responsibilities for call. So all the call center reports to me, click, so all the web properties and visits. So what happens when somebody goes into a retail clinic? And 
if you think of the brand as the embodiment of your full experience, health, the healthcare experience is not that great for a lot of people. So we're trying to ensure a seamlessly branded, positive experience across all channels. And so that's what fits into my into my remit at Banner, as well as the traditional digital and traditional marketing, the TV and the digital social mobile marketing. Yeah, I mean, you seem like you have a real pulse on on data, on analytics, on the kind of tech side of marketing. You own customer engagement. How do you kind of, you know, structure all of those different things? How do you array your team so that you can be, you know, data and analytical, but also, you know, drive great customer customer success in a field where, you know, customer engagement in healthcare is really, I mean, it's important everywhere, but in healthcare, it's, it's the most important thing. I got my start in data because most of my career was spent in financial services and financial services, particularly credit card and banking and brokerage, rely heavily on taking a look at transaction data, financial data. So how many times are you using your credit card and what kind of stores are you going to sporting goods stores or to restaurants? And then they use that data for remarketing as well as the traditional digital targeting and retargeting that they use. And so I started early on building these data platforms. And while I was in American Express, they actually spun off a business unit that did it on a consulting basis. So I built the backend data systems for Wells Fargo and for Bank of America, for Pacific Bell, for Nordstrom's and for Apple. So I got really, really immersed in the data and the technology side of marketing. And actually, it was 2017, Gartner said that chief marketing officers actually spend more on technology than chief information officers. So I've structured my team by hiring heavily from people who are in IT. So the uh, senior person who is leading marketing automation came to me from the IT team. Likewise, the person on the digital side came from the IT side of the business. And I also have matrixed in a large portion of the IT team, comes to my staff meetings, goes to annual planning. I help them with their reviews. So I'm fully integrated with the IT team. And that's a very different face of marketing than a traditional creative shop that is focused more on branding and logos and television and print ads. Yeah, I mean, you... You have a great quote where you said that it used to be that you spent 80% of your time on creative and 20% on the back end, but now you spend most of your time on the plumbing. I mean, I, I love that quote. And it's such an emblematic place of where we're at with marketing now that it's really flipped. Do you find that that is challenging for a lot of the marketers on your team to figure out? It is not challenging for the current team. We had a fairly significant turnover in skills because I inherited a lovely, very dedicated team that had very traditional skills with traditional print and broadcast. And that is the 80% on the creative and the 20% on the fulfillment. The new set of skills that I brought in are very strong on the fulfillment side and that the 20% creative still happens, but we spend most of our time and energy figuring out how to fulfill the promise. Once we've invited people in the door, the advertising is really just the invitation in the door, but you have to have chips and dip once people arrive. And that's the part that we spend a lot of our time on. What's your favorite chips and dip? Oh, guacamole, of course. Of course, of course. And we're going to get a little bit more into the customer engagement side of things in a little bit later and and how the developments of healthcare have, have kind of changed. 
I wanted to get into a little story time from your time at, at Kaiser Permanente because uh-huh. there's there's a particular thing that happened in your career that I think is really interesting for a lot of marketers where you placed a bet on a uh, a young and relatively unknown athlete and said, uh, we, we want to partner with this team and this person. And uh, how did that go down? That would be Steph Curry. And Steph, I think, was 24 at the time. And I had to do a lot of convincing because younger athletes, and maybe I should just say young men in their 20s, not to generalize, but young men in their 20s who have gotten uh, some celebrity and some money in their pockets sometimes get into trouble. And sometimes they just party a little bit too much or they end up attracting some media attention that you don't want associated with your brand. And because he was young and didn't have much history, the leadership was pretty hesitant to sign him, but we did sign him at a time when the Warriors weren't doing so well and Steph was younger in his career. And then the Warriors took off. We expanded that relationship and it was all history from then, but it's been one of the most vibrant sponsorships that Kaiser has signed and that I have had the privilege of working on. Yeah, so when I, at Kaiser Permanente was a, customer of mine at a, a pretty big customer of mine at, at a previous before mission was even a twinkling in our eyes. And I was working with them on, on this campaign. And one of the folks had, had told me that basically, you know, it, and if you went into the, to Oracle arena back in 2000, 2014, 2015, Kaiser was everywhere. I mean, every single place that you looked in the arena, you saw Kaiser. And I always thought I, it was always in my mind, I was like, man, Oracle has naming rights to this arena, but you, you see Kaiser is everywhere. Every ad, every billboard, everything is Kaiser everywhere. And like, man, it seems like whoever, whoever did this deal got an an incredible deal. And then they went and, you know, the miraculous year we won the title, you know, Steph Curry wins MVP. What was that like? What was it like to see that campaign skyrocket? Oh, it was beyond our wildest dreams because, of course, we got those entitlements at Oracle Arena at a deep discount for all sorts of reasons. And the investment paid off many times over because it attracted huge crowds where the arena had been empty before. The team took off, Steph took off, and we got a lot of television coverage, which was national. So it was a big windfall for us, and we were so grateful and so excited. Did you have like the, like a press box or something like that, that, you know, you're having, you know, people into and all that sort of stuff. Like, I'm curious what, what kind of went into that. I mean, I don't know what you can share or not share, but I'm curious to what went into that type of a partnership because, and for our listeners who may, might not be sports fans, the Warriors were the worst team in the NBA for 40 years. We won a, we won a title 40 years before this and then we're horrible, like the laughing stock. I'm a lifelong Warriors fan. So this is particularly interesting to me, but, um, we were horrible. We were so bad. And people would give tickets away, like, you know, and now now it's like a currency in tech to have Warriors tickets. So I'm curious, like, what was the, did it go from this point where you were like, hey, do you want tickets to the Warriors game? People like, eh, not so much to like, you know, having the best seat in town. It did. And it also went from a game comes, a game goes to uh, live Twitter feeds 
with the teammates, with the coach, with staff, and it w- it was electric because we, you were actually part of it, especially when you start having an athlete like that participating and their live tweets throughout or beginning and the end of the game. It just became much more personal. And because it's in Oakland and Kaiser's headquarters is in Oakland, it got adopted. And all of a sudden it went from, to your point, it went from being this multi-decade loser to this shining rocket that was taking off and everybody wanted a part of it. So it was pretty delicious. Well, and you also launched this campaign. I don't know when the exact date was, so you could tell us, but this Thrive campaign. Can you talk about when you kind of thought about this, why you wanted to structure this campaign, why you use the terms that you use? Because it is really, you know, I live I think 0.4 miles away from Kaiser's headquarters in Oakland. So, um, you know, I've seen all this stuff for, from the very beginning of it, but it was something that I think really resonated with the city of Oakland particularly, but also like all of Northern California and kind of became emblematic of the warriors as well, that we were thriving. So yeah, could you, could you unpack that? Sure. Thrive came long before the warriors took off. But Thrive is probably the best example of inside-out marketing that I can point to. Most people know that healthcare isn't healthcare, it's sick care. And most of us just don't want to go to the doctors. We don't want a shot. We don't want to go to a stinking clinic. We just want to stay away from healthcare. And so we turned it inside out by saying, okay, what what do most people want? And what most people just want is to be healthy and thriving and energized to take on their lives. And so we turned the, the model inside out because most, health, most healthcare systems talk about how deep their clinical expertise is or how smart or how modern their doctors are or how new and how state-of-the-art their hospitals are. And most of us really don't want to hear about cool doctors and cool hospitals. We just want to be healthy and thriving in our lives. So we took that core customer insight and built the campaign around it and It was really around thriving no matter where you are in your life as well. So if it's a happy thing like having a baby or if you're living with cancer, there are ways that you can thrive no matter where you are in your health journey or no matter where you are in your life journey and just gave legs to that over and over again in many different manifestations and started using imaging and words and video clips that only showed people thriving instead of clinical settings or pictures of people sitting in doctor's office. We showed pictures and very lively, thriving music of people enjoying their lives. So that was a real turnaround and got very positive results. But even though Kaiser Permanente is a national brand, you're right, it launched in Northern California, which is very outdoorsy and very health oriented. We've got a lot of organic farms around. And we actually dropped it all the way down into our employee base, which really, really resonated. So we stopped serving junk foods at meetings. We stopped having chips. We stopped, it was very mourned, but we stopped having bacon at our morning meetings. Uh, We stopped having vending machines that had chips and chocolate and soda in them. We replaced it with juice and healthy snacks and whole grain snacks. And we started hosting farmer's markets on our hospital campuses. And we actually started sourcing hospital food from our local organic farmers, which was revolutionary for anybody who knows how awful hospital food can be. We said, okay, we're we're not just saying this, we're living it from top to bottom. And it really just started a whole movement that was took on a life of its own and really became very, very thriving and vibrant all by itself. 
my niece was born at Kaiser and we, so we were there a bunch when she was born. The food was unbelievable. Like I remember, I remember multiple different people within our family kind of like saying different things about the food and being like, I might go back for seconds. Like all this sort of stuff is really funny. And my brother-in-law was like, yeah, it's pretty good, which, and he's from New Zealand. So him saying pretty good means like, that's like a 10 out of 10. And I remember working with Kaiser back then, all of that same stuff was at every single piece of copy, every single thing that I worked on was always like that. And I think it, it was clear that from the top down um, and all the way back up that people were on the same page. Those type of lessons, like how do you, how do you try to get that same pageism, you know, in your current role? And is that something that is, that you felt like you had the, you, you know, the chops to say, hey, we need to do this, you know, from a company standpoint, the leadership just kind of realized like, yes, this is, this is what we need. Well, it's a good point because terrific brands are built from the inside out and Thrive, Kaiser's Thrive was truly built built from the inside out. We are embarking on our own rebranding at Banner and the tagline that we're using is exhale because similarly, when we went out to all of our customers and patients across age groups, across geographies, across ethnicities, across gender, they all said the same thing. We just want to relax. Healthcare is really expensive. It is uh, frightening. It's a hassle. And we really just want to be able to have some peace of mind. So we came up with the exhale campaign. And similarly, we matched the inside with the outside. So starting with our employees, we worked with the HR department and we rolled out a comprehensive wellness platform that includes your financial well-being, your physical and health well-being, as well as your emotional well-being. And we're actually having an exhale event on Monday, and we're bringing in our therapy dogs. We're bringing in aromatherapy. We're bringing in our music therapy. We have our uh, spa people who are from our med spa who are bringing in all of their exhale toys and massage chairs and really building that brand from the inside out is what we're trying to do here with 50,000 employees. I love that. And, uh, you know, I love the, the exhale moment because it is something that is so kind of visceral. And I think for a lot of people, that is that holding your breath for healthcare is that moment that we've all done. We've all been waiting on results of some kind. It's something that I think is is really interesting. Have you found that, like, how do people respond to this sort of thing? And how do you kind of structure, you know, what you're doing with data and analytics around these topics? Like, what are the types of activities that you're doing from a marketing perspective that, you know, kind of let this idea of exhale out into the market and in a way that meets people right place, right time? Well, once we launched the first year of the campaign, we did both quantitative and qualitative testing to see if people even got what exhale was because you typically don't see a word like exhale next to healthcare. And they absolutely got it for the reasons that you just mentioned. By the time you get into a healthcare setting, you're already kind of escalated. You're sick, your kid is sick, or you need a checkup, or you got a symptom that you're worried about, and people absolutely get what the exhale is. We had to, at the same time, change what Banner 
does. Because an interesting fact that most people don't think about much is that 80 to 90% of people who have healthcare insurance have a very high deductible and they never make their annual deductible for out-of-pocket. So they are essentially paying out-of-pocket. So I personally have a, an annual deductible of $2,000. Unless something terrible happens, my chances of ever making a $2,000 deductible are zero. So they're much pickier about how they shop, as they should be. They're paying for something expensive, and they, they should be getting good value and good service for it. So we had to change our traditional model of you show up, you go to a clinic, you see your doctor face-to-face, to a much more exhale-oriented and right time, right place delivery model. And what that means on a practical basis is before you ever need to go into a doctor, you're going to be offered three or four different options, digital options for getting care now. So we completely reoriented our website, our mobile site, and our mobile app so that the first thing you're offered is get care now because about half the people walking around on the streets don't have a primary care doctor anymore. They just have something, they have a rash or a fever and they need some care right now. So we had to completely restructure that so that you could register for urgent care and get in within an hour and reserve your spot so that by the time you get there, you can reserve from home and by the time you get there, your spot is waiting for you. We're doing the same for the ER. So if something really bad has happened and you don't want to wait forever with a bleeding child, you can reserve your spot in the ER and show up that way. We have a 24-7 nurse on-call hotline because if you've got a terrible symptom, which is happening midnight on Easter Sunday when there is no one available, we want you to be able to talk to a nurse who can in turn tell you what it is you need to do. And then finally, we're launching the video visits with doctors Uh, this summer so that you have four different choices. If you just need something right now, you can call in, talk to a nurse, you can video chat in, you can make an appointment for the ER, or you can make an appointment with urgent care. Or if you want to call a human being and talk to them, you have all sorts of options. But that was the exhale part because for most people, it's not easy. It's not an exhale moment when you need a doctor. It's kind of a hassle. It totally is. And your website is really different from a lot of other people in healthcare. And I think that the get care now call to action is brilliant because, you know, find a doctor, find a location, these things that are, you know, front and center on the website for our listeners, you can just go to bannerhealth.com and check this out. But it's a great example of meeting the customer exactly, you know, where they, where they are. The number of people that are going to, you know, a hospital's website like you said, if 50% of people are doing this, the other thing is that intent and the emergency that's going on in their mind or in, in reality is so important to find them and like, you know, ease that and give them that kind of exhale moment. When you look at the data and you've, you know, you've been on record saying it, you have a great quote where you said that, uh, you know, most people kind of think more is better, but functionally, you know, the opposite is, is true. What's the minimum viable data set that you could use to land the data and then go through that first. What was kind of the minimum viable data set that you were looking for with the website and um, and not just the website, but in general, as you were trying to help figure out what customers were looking for and, and, and make that impact? Good question. And I'll answer that in two parts. So before anybody even gets to our website, they're going to open a browser and it's going to either be Google or Bing or Safari. So we were 
the first partner with Google Machine Learning to use artificial intelligence to tell by the time somebody opened their browser where they were in their journey, in their healthcare journey. So if they opened up on me, they'd see a bunch of mom and kid content that I had been to. They're basically looking at my browsing history and my cookie history and saying, oh, here's somebody who's interested in mom stuff and kid stuff, not interested necessarily in Alzheimer's or orthopedics or acute care. So that's really important because before you ever get to one of our landing pages, you're going to have the Google AI machine learning sort where where you are in your journey and are you at the part where you're researching I have a rash is that a bad rash is that a life-threatening rash how long have I had it but you will know am I in the research data collecting phase of my healthcare journey or am I at the I need a doctor and I need a doctor near my home including what's my IP address and how many clinics do I have around that person's home so there's a lot of pre-sorting of data that is deployed before we ever get you to the Banner Pediatrics page or a pediatrician who's near your house. So all that pre-sorting happens and it has tremendously impacted the effectiveness and the traffic on our website. After we get you to the website, there's a minimal viable data set that is basically where are you geographically, what are your demographics? Are you old, young? Do you have kids? Do you have a family? What is your insurance? Because that has a lot to do with how you shop for healthcare. Most people make a pretty early on decision that says, oh, I'm going to go to this doctor or clinic because they take my insurance, but not to that one because they don't. And then what is the kind of medical or health issue that you're dealing with? So those are the basics of the minimally viable data set that you need to collect. And then I'd imagine after you have that stuff, you know, you can go deeper with your customer experience. How do you, I mean, or do you do that? I mean, what does that, I mean, and obviously, you know, PII is a huge part of this too. So I'm curious to how that kind of all plays into this. Obviously healthcare has a ton of, you know, a, a ton of different parameters than other marketing organizations. So I'm curious to see if there's any, any things that you've kind of had to work around for that. Well, it is a new day for, healthcare. So I, I spent my entire career, as I said earlier on, in financial services, but the guardrails and the legal precedent for how you use FCRA, Fair Credit and Reporting Act data, and your FICO score, which is, is as protected, federally protected, as PHI is protected, are pretty well set. It is very wide open in healthcare, and everyone is extremely cautious about it because it's very personal data. So we have our electronic medical records. So for me, as an individual, we'll have close to a thousand different data fields, and most of them are purely clinical, and they don't need to know what my BMI is or when my last yellow fever vaccination was for 90% of, of what it is we're doing. So we basically take a, a very small subset of the non-PHI data to make sure that it is safe and protected. And then we marry the clinical data to what I would consider servicing data. So what's your web browsing history? What is your call history? How many times have you come in? Have you used urgent care? Have you used our pharmacy, the transactional history, which is common 
practice is common business practice in retail or banking or airlines. They sort of know who you are and what your history is. And then they use that to give you offers that are relevant. But we're the first ones in the healthcare industry to do that because nobody has been able to construct a data model that brings the clinical data or the medical PHI data together with the everyday service level data. Data. Like, how do you see this changing over the over the coming years? Because I think, you know, we've we talked to a lot of guests about customer experience being so important going forward. And hospitals, it feels like, or anyone in anyone in healthcare has an opportunity to really make a huge difference um, in this one area because of you know the varying degrees that that you can get you know quality care. I'm curious how you know how you see it changing, but also like how involved are you? You know, from a product level, it seems like you are really involved in in shaping, um, you know, for lack of a better term, the product, uh, you know, with the leadership team or with the rest of the leadership team. And how, how like, what does that, what does that kind of look like over the next, you know, decade? Well, over the next decade, all of us, the two of us who are talking right now and just about everybody else is going to expect the same level of service from their healthcare provider as they do from their airline. And I use the airline very mindfully because if you go to Southwest uh, ticket counter, they're going to know exactly who you are. If you go to their website, they're going to know who you are. If you call their contact center, they're going to know who you are. You don't have to tell your story over again. They make it easy to book. They make it easy to send you reminders. They make it easy to check in and they know who you are. You're giving them a lot of money to be transported by their planes across the country. And in return, you sort of expect, okay, I I want you to know who I am and to treat me accordingly. Healthcare doesn't do that. We have the equivalent right now of a system where you might actually have to walk up to the ticket counter to book a flight. Can you imagine if that were the case with airlines? And if I actually have to call an 800 number to make a reservation, I'm peeved because it's tedious, it's slow, it takes time, there's a lot of back and forth. I don't want to call. I just want to go online and book it. And I'm expecting that after a flight, they are going to ask me how the experience was and give feedback. And if I give feedback that's not so happy that they're going to get back to me and offer some sort of compensation or credit for a bad experience that I had. All of these things are absolutely standard in airlines, banking, retail. My car dealership sends me a text when it's time to schedule a maintenance visit. I can schedule it online. They send me a reminder. I bring it in. When my car is ready, they send me another text. They ask me right away, how did we do? And I don't have to tell them which car it is. I know which is my car, which is my husband's car. And they keep all of my information in one place. And I expect that with anybody with whom, any business or brand with whom I have an ongoing relationship, it is absolutely table stakes in every industry except healthcare. So healthcare has gotten this very rude wake-up call because the power of the wallet has shifted to individuals instead of to commercial payers or to the doctors themselves. So it's a very, very different landscape. And we're all scrambling like crazy to deliver that kind of seamless experience for customers in healthcare systems. I want to talk a little bit about being a CMO and what you think are some of the challenges that CMOs face now or some of the opportunities that CMOs have now. You were the CMO at AAA for a long time. You've been a CMO at at Banner Health for a while. What do you think are some of those opportunities or, or things that CMOs should be really excited about going forward? 
Well, the opportunity is all in one direction, and that's in measurability. As we move more and more towards digital, social, and mobile tools and technologies, we can measure what we do in a way that we couldn't at the beginning of my career. And if I spent $20 million on an ad campaign, I knew that it worked, but I couldn't really tell you how well it worked. I could tell you how much brand awareness went up or how many TRPs or how many impressions I delivered, but it was really hard to deliver those numbers and be able to peg meaningful results to them. So every year when the budgeting cycle came up, the first place that got a haircut was marketing because, oh, well, it doesn't matter if you spend 20 million or 15 million, it's really just that arts and crafts marketing stuff that you can't really tie to revenue. And I learned early on in my career, not coincidentally because I came out of financial services, to get to be very best friends with the CFO and to work with my financial teams to develop cost per acquisition models and ROI models that they agreed to the assumptions and to tell them very clearly, if you give me a dollar this year in my budget, uh, you can expect by the end of this year, I can tell you if you got a dollar twenty back or if you only got 80 cents back and I'm willing to be accountable for that. So building that accountability into my team's performance and also co-creating goals with the sales team so that everybody had the same numbers. It's very clarifying when everybody knows exactly the numbers, the revenue numbers that you're trying to drive. And if you can say, I put this budget in and I got these results, you end up having very, very different kinds of conversations with your CFO during the budgeting and planning cycle. And when I started out, it was probably 80% traditional and David Ogilvy has a very famous quote, we know that 50% of advertising works, we just don't know which 50%. And I wanted to get away from that as, as fast as possible. And so that's what has changed a lot. And now with marketing automation and having data-driven and technology-driven drip campaigns, lead management campaigns, and highly measurable digital mobile social campaigns, I can tell you exactly what we're getting as we launch a campaign, and I can also adjust on the fly, because if you just if you roll out a campaign or creative or some ad copy, you will know within 24 hours whether or not it's working. We launched a campaign two weeks ago that we thought was just gonna be a big yawn. It was on celery juice, the health benefits of celery juice. And it was so successful that it it broke the website. It brought us down. There was so much traffic that it just completely crumped everything. And um, that was actually great news. Wow, who knew? Celery juice. But the measurability of everything that we do is very different. And that's what's so exciting about marketing right now. That That's a great insight. I mean, I think the way that content can be used now in a way I mean, that can literally break the website with, with the celery juice content it is fascinating. Are there certain types of big bets that you're looking to make from a content perspective or just other kind of big bets kind of based off of some things that you, you maybe did earlier in your career and saying like, hey, I want to I wanna look at, maybe we could do that now again with now that we have so much more measurability or, or things like that? 
Well, I think the bet I'm placing is on marketing automation because it knows, for example, if I'm talking to you that you're a text person, not an email person, it knows to del it knows the kind of content that you've been looking at. It knows your demographics and your buying patterns so I can tailor at a one-to-one -one level instead of a segmented level and I can measure whether or not it works. So that's the formula that has worked the best once we had all of these MarTech stacks that actually enabled that one-to-one -one personalized marketing. And the other thing that is very exciting is the math. So most of marketing now is math, largely because the Google algorithm is math. It changes every six to eight weeks. And so you're always trying to, it's like dealing with a mad scientist. You're always trying to figure out the math equation that's going to make you come to the top of the page. And 91% of all traffic goes to whoever shows up first in any Google search. So if you're not in that first or second position, you basically don't exist. So it's this wild math competition that's happening real time, which is measurable and dynamic and unbelievably fun. Yeah. What about kind of the impact side of that? Like the once they click, how are you looking at kind of impact metrics? I mean, like one of the things that you know, for example, does something have, you know, 75 comments? Well, oh, those comments could all be good or they could all be bad. Um, and it's a huge difference. Or some of those comments could be, hey, you changed the way I look at, you know, failure in the world. And like, thank you so much for making this. Or it could be like, good stuff. You know, like, how do you kind of get into the details of the impact that your stuff is having out there once they are in the content? Well, that's another important question. And it comes down to what are the small number of data points that you look at? And it's very nice to look at comments. It's very nice to look at follows. But the most important one in, in my current job is, did you make an appointment with the doctor? So I don't really care. Am I driving volume to doctors to the right doctor? Am I making the right match? Is it's, It is sort of like match.com. Am I getting somebody who speaks the right language, who's in the right neighborhood, who treats, treats the right pediatric conditions? And am I getting an appointment? And at the end of it, am I getting a happy patient? So I'm very clear on a small number of metrics. And, oh, I forgot to talk about something that I've done at Banner that I've done in previous companies. And that is to actually, at the board level, change the incentive comp for senior leadership on down through the company. Because if you change how people are paid, you change behaviors very quickly. So if you get net promoter score, our happy customer, metrics into your incentive comp package at the board level, who's in turn holding the CEO and all of the executives responsible for that net promoter score, the customer satisfaction score, it cascades to everything. That's, so That's really interesting. How did you go about doing that? Well, I typically, because I also function in a strategy role, so all my years at AAA, I was also the chief strategy officer. So I sat on the, I, and I currently sit on the board of directors at the strategic level. And a big part of strategy is how to change an employee culture. And in healthcare in particular, the culture was so focused around, we call it quality. That's the word that the healthcare system works, uses for, did we make people better? That is really important, but it is table stakes. And I use the analogy of the airlines. You never ask when you get on a United flight whether or not that plane is going to crash or if they have a decent safety record. That's expected. But you're really, really picky about are the flight attendants friendly? 
Was the food okay? Did my baggage arrive? All those other things that make up your customer satisfaction. And until you, at a board level, get sort of in the bone agreement, alignment, and money placed on that bet that if you make your customers happier, you're going to grow your revenues, it just never happens for me. You can talk the talk, but it never really happens until people get paid differently. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, especially CMOs, are probably wondering how you kind of got that much um, you know, authority to begin with. Would any, any ways or any strategic or tactical ways that you went about, you know, convincing the leadership team over the years that like we need to make these type of decisions or, I mean, it seems pretty common sense when you say it that way, but I'm just curious if uh, how much pushback you received. There's always a fair amount of pushback. And the only way to combat the pushback is with information, research, and data. And every job I've had The real job has been cultural transformation. It happens to be under the guise of marketing or strategy. And you have to be able to change things without making anybody or anything that came before wrong because nothing was wrong. Everybody did the very best they could for very good reasons and for the business climate at that time and period. But if you can respectfully say, hey, here's the way we have done things, but here's a whole bunch of data that shows what your customers are telling you they want, then it gets pretty clear and you get traction pretty easily, especially if you're not aggressive about it and just sort of say, hey, let's let's have an open conversation about how we can make things better for our own customers. People, boards especially, are, are very committed to that. They're, they're sitting on boards because they care and they have a fiduciary, but mostly a strategic responsibility to respond to the marketplace. And if you bring them clear data from the marketplace, they will respond. All right. I want to get into our lightning round questions. These are fast and easy questions, just like marketing automation with our friends from Pardot. These questions, fast and easy, stuff you haven't ever seen before, but it'll be a good time. Are you ready? I guess I am. (laughs) Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? That is the most fun. Oh, Spotify. Oh, good one. All right. How about your favorite one-day getaway in the Bay Area? In the Bay Area would be Point Reyes. What question do you never get asked that you wish you got asked more? What sort of data model do you have? It's super nerdy question, and I love nerdy questions. What, what sort of data model do you use? Oh, physical and logical data structure that is completely centered around a 360 view of the customer. Gosh, I love that. We, we could do a whole nother episode just on that. Do you have a favorite uh, book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Oh, podcast. I'm completely addicted to the, it was short, but the one on Theranos, I think it's called Dropout. That's what it's called. Dropout. Oh, that one's great. Especially, especially for someone in healthcare, you're probably grimacing the entire time. Yes. And one, well, there are, uh, don't get me started, too many podcasts. What about what was the worst campaign you ever did? The worst campaign I ever did was for the newly rolled out Optima card. It was the most expensive campaign I ever launched. And I used such extravagant, that was back in the days when, well, people still use direct mail for cards. 
but the cardstock was so heavy and so glossy and the production was so gorgeous that nobody checked to see that you could actually write on the business reply card and it got almost no response or it got lots of responses that had the ink smeared off because we had used coated paper that was it was a disaster that is hilarious what a funny i mean that is that is really funny that's like when you get the the super nice um, extravagant you know, wedding invitation in the mail but you don't have a save the date and then you lose it right yes exactly what about your favorite campaign you ever ran Favorite campaign was probably the Thrive campaign, just because it was happy and uplifting and shooting was a blast. And we had the same production company that we'd used for many years, and we were just in a groove and we had a great time. What about an ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're envious of? an ad campaign than an envious one. The Super Bowl ad, the Amazon Super Bowl ad with Harrison Ford and the dog reordering the dog treats. I love that one. Last question for the lightning round. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? For a first-time CMO, get to know every detail of the finances and get to really, really know what your technology stack is and what your, where your customer data is living. That's it for the lightning round. Those are great, gosh, great answers. And I'm, I, I, I want to dig in just a tiny bit more with the last minute or so that we have here. Are you just like hip to hip with your, with your CIO or your CTO? I mean, it seems like you have an extraordinary amount of, of control over the technology within, within the company and within previous companies. Uh, yes. So the board actually gave me, be, because I've built these customer platforms many times over, they were very generous in giving me $250 million to build the tech stack. And I'm doing that in partnership with the CIO. So I spend a lot of time with the technology team. I would say more than half of my time is with the technology team. That's incredible. Alexandra, this has just been wonderful. I could keep going for hours. There's so many insights here and, and different pieces of your career I'd love to touch on because there's uh, just a lot of lessons learned and I really appreciate your time today. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, 
Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.